Wasn't that great? Yeah. Next is one of our most awaited guest speaker. He's a former UN weapons inspector. He's an amazing military analyst and a prolific writer. He's a great public speaker. I see him as the embodiment of a real American hero with a noble mission to save us all from nuclear annihilation. A great man who doesn't really need any more introduction. Please give a warm welcome to Scott Ritter. guys too. Um, although I'm beginning to question the wisdom of coming here. <laughs> I mean, my God. <laughs> Ronald Reagan is rolling over here <laughs> because I am the epitome of a Reagan Republican. I grew up child of a Cold War. My dad was career military and um, the first president I voted for is Ronald Reagan. And I voted for him for according to what you're saying is all the wrong reasons. Um, I believed in war. I wanted war. I worshiped war because war was my salvation. Salvation from you, you communist loving socialists. I mean, my God, you guys are holding up the flag of the Chinese Communist Party, North Korea, uh, the Soviet Union. Ronald Reagan is rolling over in his grave. I, until I was corrected, I, I was beginning to think CPI stood for Communist Party International. <laughs> All jokes aside, though, it's an absolute honor and a privilege to be here for the very reasons I just said. Because while we may not be cut from the same piece of cloth, we do seek to be sewn into the common clothing of a nation that needs to be shielded from the nakedness of its imperial ambition. Yeah. And that's what the United States of America is today. I love my country more than life itself. I've sworn to give my life for my country. The question, though, is my country worthy of my life? Is my country worthy of the life of anybody in this room? Is my country worthy of the life of anybody who puts the uniform on? And the answer, sadly, today is no. It's not. You know, we were joking in the back. Uh, we, were, we were having some talks about how difficult it is to talk to family members about these critical issues. I mean, my goodness, have, I think everybody's nodding their head because they know what I'm getting ready to say. Hey, Mom, that war in Ukraine, Putin's a bad man. Yeah, Mom, I get it. Putin's a bad man. But that war in Ukraine, it's tough. Putin's a bad man. Man, we can't get through on this one, you know. Um, Mom, when I... I want to talk about arms control. The Russians have nuclear weapons. I know, Mom, but we need to talk about disarmament. Disarmament, no. Russians have nuclear weapons. Hey, Mom, uh, vaccination. Got to get vaccinated. Not anymore. <laughs> the light suddenly went off on much of America. You see what's happening here? People are starting to wake up to the fact that the government lies. <laughs> that when their lips move, it's not the truth coming out. It's deception, distortion. Now, when I spoke about Ukraine or nuclear weapons, the cloud goes over the eyes. 
because it's not, they don't take it personally. They just have bought into the propaganda. But enough people have seen what happens when you get the double jab and the boost. And people are starting to realize that it wasn't everything the government said it was. Now, I'm not up here to talk about the vaccine and anti-vax. What I'm trying to talk about is lies and the power of lies. The power of lies when they lie to you about things like the vaccine, like Ukraine, like disarmament, and the consequences of those lies. And the consequences are dire. We are now in a public health crisis because of the lies about the vaccination. We are in a moral crisis because of the lies about Ukraine. And we are in an existential crisis about the lies about nuclear weapons. And when I say existential, I mean that in the very definition of the word. This is a life and death issue for everybody sitting in this room, everybody occupying this hotel, everybody walking the streets today in Washington, D.C., everybody in every state in the union, everybody in every nation around the world. Because if we don't get this nuclear problem resolved in a in a manner that eliminates the threat of nuclear weapons, none of us will be here down the road. And I do mean that none of us will be here. So this is this is an important issue. So I may joke about, you know, Ronald Reagan and CPI and all that. But this ain't a joke, ladies and gentlemen. This is real. This is as real as it gets. Now, the Democracy Summit, Hypocrisy Summit, whatever you want to call what's going on there. Let's talk about that and how that relates. I know you got some speakers coming in tomorrow who are going to touch on this, but I thought I'd throw my two cents in as well, if you don't mind. I, I bring this as a, again, it's, it comes from personal experience. Um, my wife is from the Republic of Georgia, from the town of uh, Sukumi. It was the capital of Abkhazia, which was a uh, autonomous region in Georgia. In 1992, 1993, there was a war, a civil war. and. Um, the Georgian people were ethnically cleansed. Quarter of a million of them driven away, 50,000 slaughtered, um, and not allowed to return since that time. Now, I'm not here to cast light. Look, war is war. All sides are to blame. We can sit here and talk all we want about the Abkhazians and the Chechens and the brutality, but you better damn well talk about the Mechedrioni, the White Eagles, and the drunken Georgian soldiers who raped, pillaged, and murdered Abkhazians as well. There's no right in this. But the wrong is a quarter of a million people can't go back home. So now we have this festering wound called Abkhazia. Why is this important? Well, the other week there was a demonstration in Tbilisi. A bunch of young kids, young kids, college kids, out there shouting at the top of their young, Sukumi, Sukumi, Sukumi. What were they saying? They want the government to initiate action to recover unliberated Georgia, meaning Abkhazia. They want Georgia to go to war in Abkhazia. That's what they're asking for. Okay, and you could say, well, Scott, come on, man. Sukumi is a Georgian capital. They were kicked out. Don't they have a right to do that? No, they don't. Why? War isn't the answer. War can never be the answer. That's what people need to understand. War only brings death and destruction. Yep. It solves nothing. And I say that as somebody whose wife cries every night because she can't go home. You know, she was born there. 
Her parents are buried in upstate New York. They deserve to be buried under the soil of Sukumi. That's where they deserve to be buried, but they can't. So I want Georgia to be able to go back to Abkhazia, but I'm not willing to promote something that kills more people. But then you have to ask yourself, okay, is the reason why they're saying this pure? And what I mean by that is, I can understand somebody having enough passion about an issue, because believe me, I am a passionate person. And you can get me riled up about things, and I could want to kill. I was trained to do it. <laughs> Done it. Now I could do it again, maybe. I don't want to. That's why I'm here, because I believe in peace. I'm trying to find the other way to solve problems. But I can understand if somebody wakes up in the morning and says, damn it, I've had it. Let's march on Sukumi. Let's take it back. We've waited long enough. If that's your ambition, if that's the purity of your motive, okay, I won't support you, but I can't condemn you. But that's not what's going on here, you see. Democracy summit, hypocrisy summit. Why they're talking about this has nothing to do with the recapturing of Sukumi for Georgian sovereignty. It has everything to do with American manipulation of Georgian passions to serve the United States agenda, not the agenda of the Georgian people. You see, if you dig deep enough, what you'll find is the kids that are out there have been brainwashed by the United States. Why were they protesting? They were protesting because the Georgian government had the audacity to say, if you've taken 20% of your money from a foreign source, you have to register as a foreign agent. Imagine that. We have the same law. Yeah. Foreign Agent Registration Act here in America. Why? To protect American democracy. From what? Foreign manipulation. Okay. So we believe in it. We say this is an effective tool to prevent people coming in and buying off the Communist Party International, they could say, you know, <laughs> you guys have taken money from somebody, you belong to somebody, you got to register. You know, that's the whole idea is to prevent foreigners from coming in and buying out institutions that are part of a democracy. And yet in Georgia, they can't do that. The Georgian parliament was getting ready to pass a Foreign Agent Registration Act, and the United States said, that's bad for democracy. Imagine <laughs> that. That's bad for democracy. Why would it be bad for democracy? Because the 20% funding that there would be uncovered is all American money. Yeah. All American money. You see, America was buying Georgia. Yeah. And that's what we do. We buy countries in the name of democracy. How did we do it in Georgia? 22 programs funded by the United States Agency for International Development. They start off with grassroots level. You see, because they don't like the government in charge. The government in charge happens to be a government that was formed, I mean, the, 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 the party, I think it's Georgia Dreams, formed by a, a, a Georgian billionaire who made his money in Russia. God forbid you make money in Russia. <laughs> Apparently money's only good if you make it in Saudi Arabia, Ukraine, ask Hunter, um, and we can go on and on and on. But you can't make it in Russia, that's bad. So we don't like Georgia Dream. You see, and one of the reasons why we don't like Georgia Dream is that Georgia Dream isn't too keen on opening up what we call the second front. You see, we got a war going on right now in Ukraine, one that we started. I know people say, Scott, didn't Putin invade Ukraine? Yeah, he didn't invade Ukraine, guys. He responded militarily to a provocation that's been going on for over a decade by the United States, NATO, and the European Union. Study your history. But be that as it may, it's not going well for the imperialists. They're not winning. They're losing. And they're desperate. 
So what they need is a second front. What they need is another breakout of violence on the periphery of Russia, this crescent of chaos that we've been trying to create for decades so that we can get the Russians to divert resources from the Ukrainian front to a new Georgian front, thereby weakening them on the Ukraine front so that maybe we can reverse our fortunes in Ukraine yeah. while precipitating more death, destruction, and violence. Man, we call ourselves friends of the Georgian people, and what is our solution but to bring chaos, anarchy, death, and destruction to them in the form of a second front in a conflict they cannot win, and we know they can't win. What kind of friend says, open up a second front so that you lose 400,000 people? Yeah. That's not a friend. That's an enemy. That's not democracy. That's imperialism. That's what's going on in Georgia today. Now... Why is this why is this relevant? Because well let's again let me just let's talk about the, the things here because we you know here we are. Caleb, I love you, man. I love what you guys do. I mean I I have to tell you, I haven't seen the international played like that <laughs> since I watched the movie Reds back in the nineteen eighties. <laughs> All right. And I loved it then and I love it now. Uh, so my, I mean, you guys are winning me over. I tell you what, my my Republican Party card's starting to burn a hole in my pocket. <laughs> it's, Go back it's, to the real it's catching on fire. Yeah, <laughs> we'll get to that in a minute. But uh, but the, the you know you're talking you know what you guys are talking about is you know building blocks of citizenship in America through education, etc. Well, the thing about the imperial Americas, we pretend to purport to do the same thing abroad. You see, when we go into Georgia, what we do is we say, we're going to create grassroots movements of diverse opinion. Now, I am as conservative a person as you're ever going to meet in your life. And I have to tell you, when I, you guys know who Jeff Norman is? Uh, he's, he's my collaborator on, uh, on my podcast and stuff. Good friend. We've been friends for over two decades. I love the guy to death. First time we met, it was down in Texas, Southern Methodist University. We just spoken out uh, in support of Sidney Crawford's uh, effort to camp outside of George W. Bush because of uh, the death of her son in the first in, in the Iraq war. Uh, he had me on stage with people. And one of the people he had on was a former Marine, um, which is cool. He was gay. I didn't know it. And afterwards, he said, Scott, hug. And so he's up there hugging. He goes, I got you to hug a gay Marine. <laughs> and at first, I was a little angry because uh, I told you I'm conservative. I'm pretty conservative. And I was like, I don't know how I feel about that. I don't know how I feel about that. But then I thought about it, and I went, what the hell? Who cares? I don't care. He's a nice guy. I drank a beer with him. And if I didn't know what you told me, I wouldn't know anything. And it's none of my damn business. And I sort of had one of these epiphanies where I was just basically started to care less and less about the things that don't matter, like sexuality. I don't care. Uh, politics. I don't care either. You can call yourself whatever you want to call yourself. What I care about is your humanity, how you treat your fellow beings. You know, there's, a, there's an old saying uh, among us golfers that you, judge, you can judge a person by watching them play around the golf when nobody's looking. Because golf is all about, a, it's, it's about rules. Very strict rules. You can't ground your club in the sand trap. You can't move the ball. You know, all this stuff. And if you do it, you got to count the strokes. So if you watch a person play golf, you learn an awful lot, such as they ground the club and they come in and you see the score go up by one because they called that penalty on themselves. 
That's a person of integrity. That's a person that matters. I watch people as they go down the street. I see the person walk by a piece of trash, sit down, pick up the trash, find the nearest garbage can, put it in. I go, that's a good person. I watch a lady cross the street, she's a little slow, and I watch the people come up and say, hey, let me help you. Those are good people. Then I watch the people that walk by people in need and ignore them. And I say, there's a problem there. There's a problem there. You see, what makes you count as a human being is how you treat your fellow human. If you treat them with respect, with dignity, then you're good. If you ignore them, you bypass them when they need help, you got a problem. And um, you guys are the kind of guys that help people. You guys are the kind of guys that when you walk by somebody and need help, you put out a helping hand. You say, hey, let me help you up. What can I do? American imperialism, we don't do that. We pretend to. You see, we go to Georgia and we create these diverse movements. And the reason why I brought up diversity is that Georgia is a very conservative society. If you know anything about Georgian society, it's very conservative. But we, what, what we want to do is shoehorn our concepts of diversity to do what? To break Georgian conservatism to break the, Georgia, the control of the Georgia Dream Party, to create something that isn't natural yet in Georgia. I'm not saying it can't be. I'm saying we're shoehorning something in that is foreign to Georgia. And then we empower it. So we create these grassroots diverse movements funded by the United States, and then we empower it by taking over the elections so that we prevent top-down control and we promote bottom-up control to push what we've created up into the ranks of Georgian political identity. And then we come in in the name of preserving democracy by having resilience against disinformation. You've all heard that, how dangerous disinformation is. Hell, I'm the biggest disformer apparently in the world <laughs> speaking to you right now. But um, you know, disinformation doesn't mean what they think it means or what they proclaim. It means dissent. You see, what they're doing is as people say, hey, wait a minute, we're not too happy about you coming into my neighborhood, recreating something that's foreign to us and then starting to promote it up here into political reality and you're leaving us behind. We're, we, we'd like to ask some questions. Disinformation, shut them up. And the United States is putting programs in Georgia that do just that. And then we come in and we take control of the media to create this concept of a fact-based information stream that is controlled by whom? by us, by America. We dictate. And the end result is a soft coup, a color revolution, where we remove the government in charge and replace it with one that is compliant to who, what we want, our vision. And our vision for Georgia, frankly speaking, isn't to promote LGBTQ rights. It isn't. It's to kill Georgians. It's to kill Georgians by the handful, by the bushelful, by the thousands, by the tens of thousands, by the hundreds of thousands in a nation of roughly four million people. If they went to war against Russia and lost 100,000 people, just think of the proportion of the population which just lost. And that's what we're asking them to do. That's what we're begging them to do. Not to recapture Abkhazia so that my wife can return home, but to try and recapture Abkhazia knowing they can't, to suck Russian military resources away so they can kill Georgians. This is what we do. This is what American democracy is about. That's what the Democ Democratic Summit is promoting, and that's why I'm here today to help you fight against it and the summit of hypocrisy. But like I said, you're going to have some people here tomorrow speaking about this. I'd like to talk a little bit about nuclear weapons. Now, how do you get from Georgia to nuclear weapons? Easy. 
What is the purpose of the American policy right now when we, take, when we talk about promoting a second front? The strategic defeat of Russia. That's the stated goal and objective of the United States of America, the strategic defeat of Russia. Do people not understand that you cannot strategically defeat Russia and hope to survive? That when you have a nation of the stature of Russia that possesses nuclear weapons, and those nuclear weapons are key to the continued survival of Russia, when you speak of the strategic defeat of Russia, you're speaking of the inevitability of the release of the Russian nuclear arsenal against the United States, which will trigger the release of the American nuclear arsenal, and the world ends. That's what we're talking about, ladies and gentlemen, when we talk about democracy in Georgia. We're talking about the end of the world. That's really what we're talking about, and you have to view it in that perspective. The Russians today have said, net to arms control. It's done. It's finished. And if it stays this way, we're dead, every single one of us. The world cannot survive in an era where there are massive quantities of nuclear weapons, the kind of red scare mentality that hasn't existed since the 1950s and 60s, and no limits on nuclear weapons, no arms control. You see, Russia has just finished a modernization of its nuclear weapons program. Why, you would ask? Because, of course, some people say, it's because they mean us harm. They threaten us. No, they're just responding to what we've done. You see, arms control used to be a thing. We used to have something called the Anti-Ballistic Missile Treaty. A pretty cool treaty. It meant that we don't shoot down missiles. Why? Because we want to guarantee the missiles reach their target. Why in the hell would you want to do that? So that there's mutually assured destruction. That's insanity. Yes, that's the beauty of it, you see. It proves the insanity of nuclear conflict. If you use a nuke, we all die. Therefore, none of us use nuclear weapons. We're in agreement. We have a treaty now that makes mutually assured destruction inevitable. We all get to live. But then we said we want to get rid of these weapons. So we start process like the Intermediate Nuclear Forces Treaty. That's the treaty that I was involved in, 1988, getting rid of an entire class of nuclear weapons that threaten Europe and the world. We succeeded. I sometimes tell people jokingly, when you meet me, shake my hand, buy me a beer, because if it weren't for me and the other inspectors, you'd be dead today. And that's the God's honest truth. If it weren't for the INF Treaty, none of us would be here, because the world would have ended in a nuclear apocalypse. But we succeeded. We got rid of the weapons. We eliminated that threat. Then we moved on to strategic arms reduction. We started to reduce the strategic arsenals. Everything was fine until the Soviet Union collapsed. And then the United States said, we don't need to treat Russia with respect anymore. We withdrew from the ABM Treaty. We started to put our own anti-ballistic missile systems in place in Europe and elsewhere. We lied through our teeth. I don't know if people realize this, but in 2010, we promised the Russians that when we negotiated the New START Treaty, that once we got the treaty in place, we would sit down and talk responsibly about limiting anti-ballistic missile systems. And then we lied to them. We told them, don't worry about the missile launchers that we have in there right now. They are only medium range. They can't hit ICBMs. All the while, we knew we were testing a version of the launcher that can hit ICBMs two years later. We deploy that version in these systems. They're now ICBM killers. And the Russians are going, you guys lied to us. Hey, Russia, remember that conversation I had early on? When the U.S. government's lips move, they are lying. That is the bottom line. And the U.S. government lied about that. We withdrew from the Intermediate Nuclear Forces Treaty. We're now redeploying the same weapon systems that threatened to destroy the world back in the 1980s. But this time, there is no treaty mechanism in place to prevent that war from happening if there is a mistake, a miscalculation, etc. 
Ladies and gentlemen, without arms control, we are all going to die. That is a 100% guarantee. And right now, there is no arms control on the table. So we're all dead. Let that sink in. And now you know why I'm here, Caleb. Now you know why I'm here. Because I want to live. I'm desperate to live. I have children. And they're going to have children. And they're going to have children. But maybe not. Maybe the world won't be here. But I need the world to be here. I need there to be hope. We have to start working towards a common vision, a common vision that's based upon humanity. And I want to walk side by side with people who stop to help an old woman cross the road, people who lift the pick down to pick up the garbage, people who do things that are good, even though nobody else is watching because they're not doing it to get credit for doing it, they're doing it because it's the right thing to do. And right. you are that kind of person, Caleb. <laughs> and CPI is the right kind of organization. Okay, great. Now, I just said a really bunch of words. What do we do about it? Yeah. What do we do about it? Well, when I leave here, I'm going to give Caleb a copy of a book called Waging Peace, the Art of War for the Anti-War Movement. I wrote it for the anti-war movement. It didn't live up to its promise, ladies and gentlemen. We didn't stop a war. I don't know if we can stop wars. I mean, I'd like to believe we can, but I also am realistic. But we have to stop nuclear war. That needs to be our number one priority. And I can't do it alone. And you can't do it alone. But together, we can begin to build something. We can start moving in the right direction. We begin to organize nationally so that, I don't know, again, I can't tell you what the right way to do things. I have an idea. I talked about it before. It's my I have a dream speech. And I have a dream that on June 22nd, 2024, a million people will gather in Central Park to resurrect the vision that happened in June of 1982 of no nuclear weapons, of yes to arms control, breaking free the rust that holds our government place so they once again realize the importance of preserving humanity by imposing arms control on the nuclear weapons that threaten us all. That's my dream. How do we get there? How do we get there? And that's the question. How do we get there? We have to begin organizing. Yeah. We have to begin organizing. You know, now we come back to Reds. We come back to Ronald Reagan. You know, I landed in Russia in June, the Soviet Union back then, in uh, June of 1988. And at that time, a man named uh, Mikhail Gorbachev was undertaking a revolution. There was a revolution of change called Perestroika. He had convened something called the 19th All-Party uh, All uh, Union Conference. Um, big name, communist name, you roll your eyes because, yeah, that generally happens when the communists put big names out there. But this one was real. It was about transforming the Communist Party and the Soviet Union into a democratic institution to get rid of the Politburo and replace it with the Supreme Soviet that was responsible to a Congress of deputies who would be elected by the Soviet people in a democratic process, a genuine democratic process. And I got to watch it happen. It was a beautiful thing. And then I got to watch it collapse because... There are some inherent problems with the Soviet Union. There are some inherent problems with the way the United States supported it. But that's not that. What I'm saying is there was a transformation taking place that would have such magnitude that when Ronald Wilson Reagan, one of the most hardcore anti-communists in the world, showed up in Moscow in June of 1988, this is a man who talked about the evil empire. He's the guy that motivated me. I believed in the evil empire. I wanted to destroy the evil empire. Again, I've said it before, I'll say, kill a commie for mommy was my mantra, and it wasn't a joke. Better dead than red was a way of life. And Ronald Reagan's the guy that made me believe that. And so here I am, I'm in the Soviet Union, and Ronald Reagan's there, and he gets called before a university in Moscow, and the students say, Mr. President, do you still view us 
is the evil empire. And Ronald Reagan said, no, I view you as friends. Ronald Reagan said, no, I view you as friends. I want you to think about that for a second because we're in a point in time where we have to radically re rethink how we relate to the world. You held up a North Korean flag. Most people would get sort of upset by that because there's a visceral reaction. North Korea, Kim Jong-un, Korean War, Manchurian candidate. I mean, we've been programmed to believe everything. It's hard to believe it's just a couple of years ago, we had a president, and I don't want to say his name because people will boo and hiss when I say his name, but we had a president who actually sat down with Kim Jong-un to try and get rid of nuclear weapons. That's a standard we have to set for all American politicians. If you're not willing to sit down with Kim Jong-un to get rid of nuclear weapons, then you're not worthy of the title President of the United States of America. And people need to understand that what, 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 what's happened here. You see, we were this close to having North, North Korea denuclearized, this close. If it weren't for two people, Mike Pompeo and John Bolton, who stabbed Donald Trump in the back, we would have denuclearized North Korea. And then, you know what? We wouldn't have a situation today where the North Koreans are fielding intercontinental ballistic missiles with nuclear weapons that are aimed at American cities, ready to fire on a moment's notice. We wouldn't have a situation where the North Koreans have fielded new categories of intermediate-range missiles, short-range missiles targeting Japan and South Korea, threatening an entire region of the world with tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of deaths, because the United States isn't willing to sit down and talk to a man about getting rid of the number one threat to the world today, and that is nuclear weapons. Right. We have yeah. to change this dynamic. So I don't want to call it the Trump standard, though. <laughs> but let's call it the American standard, the new American standard, yeah. sitting down and talking. Yeah. How do we do it? Yeah. We work together. You know, in the movie, in the, in the movie Reds, uh, Warren Beatty, again, I'm giving away my age, but I like Warren Beatty. Uh, he was funny in a number of movies. But in this movie, he played John Reed, American. Um, he, was a, he was a journalist, but he, he was known for, you know, 10 Days That Shook the World was his book. But he's up there in the movie. It's a great scene. And John Reed's up there, and he's talking to people, and he's motivating them. He gets them up, and they start shouting and applauding and cheering, and then the international is sung, and people on their feet, and out they march to the streets to begin a revolution. So damn it, Caleb, every chance you get, get in front of a crowd, shout, scream, get them motivated, get them on their feet, sing the goddamn international, and march to the streets, and let's bring change to this country, let's bring change to the world. Thank you very much for inviting me, I really appreciate it.